All right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of What Had Happened, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly, bringing you lesser-known true crime stories. What is going on, everyone? As promised at the top of the month, this is the third episode for you all for the month of February. Yay! I'm, like, actually super happy to have been able to squeak this one out. I'm sorry it's a day late but not a dollar short. Um, I've had a lot of stuff going on over the weekend. It was really busy, so I'm sorry. I do humbly apologize. But I'm getting older, so I get kind of tired. So, my bad. But here I am. Um, Anyways, back to the script, as I was saying. I'm always apologizing for something. I realize and I apologize for that as well. Um, I hope everybody's doing well. I'm really doing good, though. Um, We just had our last episode on Yusef Hawkins a week ago. So we're making some really good headway here. I'm feeling really good about this. Um, I wanted to thank you again uh, for your continued listenership. I know that I have been discussing some rather sensitive topics this year. And I appreciate your support as I bring you some of the more difficult to discuss crimes, you know. Um, I wanted to take this time also, as usual, to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is your shout out time. So it's good to see you all again. Newcastle, Wilmington, Dover, Felton, Nork and Delaware or Nork, Delaware. Welcome back, Providence, Cranston, Lincoln, New Kingston, and Pawtucket, Rhode Island. How's it going? Uh, Kailuna, Kona, Honolulu, Kailua, and Hilo, Hawaii. Greetings and salutations, Omaha, Lincoln, Fremont, Seward, and Grand Lake, Nebraska. Hi, Fargo, Grand Forks, Dunn Center, and Williston, North Dakota. What's good? Starkville, Gulfport, Meridian, Tupelo, Bay Springs, and I joke when I say this, but Uncle Clifford and the girls at the pink down in Chuckalisa, Mississippi. I had to slip that one in. Welcome back, friends in the UK and Ireland. Good to see you. Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Quebec, Canada. Welcome back, friends in Germany. It's so good to have you returning to me. Auckland, Canterbury, Wellington, New Zealand. Good day, Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales, Tasmania, Western and Southern Australia. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the likes, shares, and subscribes. Don't forget to join the What Had Happened Facebook group and all of the other social accounts. As well as feel free to drop me an email if you have a case you would be interested in hearing me cover. You want me to do a plug for your small business or you just feel like saying, hey girl, hey, long time listener, whatever, you know, just keep it nice and clean for me, my loves. All of those links as well as my references can be found in the description box below per the usual. Last episode was yet another super difficult case to cover. discussing the 1989 racially motivated hate crime which took the life of 16-year-old Yusef Hawkins in New York. Uh, 
for today's episode, I'll be telling you a shorter true crime story because goodness, here, the past have been pretty long, right? Like it's over an hour, right? My voice is a little tired. So I'm going to preface that the lion's share of the information is going to be coming from the ID series, Dead Silent. It would be season four, episode four, The Red River. The original air date is November 17th, 2020. That can be found on ID or Discovery+. Plus. So today, let's discuss what had happened to Allison Hines Walker. Allison was born August 10th, 1991 to Kenneth and Regina Hines in Tennessee. One of two daughters, Allison was described as kind, loving, and helpful, always happy and smiling. Allison had a big heart and was giving to others. Growing up, the girls, along with their cousin, were homeschooled by their grandmother. As the daughter of a pastor, Allison was deeply rooted in the church and was more conservative. You know, like her father was like super strict and absolutely forbade, you know, any boys, insisting that his daughters keep their heads in the books and keep to their studies, keep focused. You know, there's time for all of that. Let me try to adjust the mic a little. Never mind, I'm not going to touch it. It's going to make a noise. So anyways, <coughs> excuse me. As she got older, Allison aspired to attend cosmetology school and become a professional hairdresser as her passion was in braiding hair. Like, her cousin and her sister said that she was amazing at it. Her family was extremely close-knit, and um, they, her family and extended family, thoroughly enjoyed spending each and, like, almost every holiday gathering together um, they would like every holiday they would get together, have cookouts or, you know, like Sunday meal style type, like formal holiday meals. Uh, everybody would gather playing games, catching up and having a wonderful time and a home cooked meal. And it sounds amazing. Um, at one of these family get togethers in 2012, Allison was reintroduced to Christopher Walker a man she'd met as a girl, like, you know. And so in this ID episode, it's unclear which one of her family members or a friend of the family, something like that, was um, engaged to Chris's uncle. And so... I didn't mention this because it doesn't really matter. Um, so Allison is African-American and Chris is white. So um, he kind of like he and his siblings were at this family function with their uncle who at the time, I guess he would kind of bring them around and stuff like that, you know. So while she, Allison, and a few of the ladies are sitting around talking, you know, Chris is sitting over there looking like a snack. And one of the, one of the ladies points out, Oh yeah, you know, well, my mom is engaged to their uncle. You remember them. You met him when we were kids. 
And so she's like, no, yeah, I really don't really remember, but okay. So he and his family lived and worked in their pig farm in Adairville. And so I guess some of the family members didn't really like the Walker family because they were a little, they had, you know, everybody's got their own story, right? And some families are more clean cut and wholesome and others are a little bit more rambunctious or rough and tumble or, you know, or maybe there's just a scapegoat, a black sheep in the family. Well, so I guess the younger brother, George, had had a couple of little run-ins with the law here and there, but he was a younger guy. He was still a teenager at the time. And they also had a sister, and they didn't say anything really about her, but, you know, they were kind of like, um, they stood out like a sore thumb because they were different from the family in regards of, like, the family was really close-knit and, you know, reserved. So he reintroduces himself to her and the two exchange phone numbers and they part ways and shortly thereafter the two began dating and initially the courtship was super sweet and you know she was over the moon he would take her on picnics he would take her to dinner or movies and buy her flowers you know it was a really sweet courtship and you know, as soon as the two started dating, it didn't take long because within a few months, the lovebirds quickly wed. Now, people say that that's fast, but she was raised in a conservative family with a pastor for a father, and they live in Kentucky or Tennessee, wherever her family was living at. I'm going to tell you one thing's for certain, two things for sure shacking up is not acceptable so if you're gonna date you're dating with purpose and the purpose the intention is you know to find your partner your spouse get married and start a family and live a christian lifestyle that's how that doctrine works especially in that area and so it's not like it it doesn't surprise me that the two of them got married, you know, within a few months. It didn't say how long it took, but it wasn't too long. Now, as soon as the two said, I do, Chris moved his bride into their home on the farm. And while that's like super exciting and stuff like this, here's what I found was interesting. The It wasn't until after the two wed that at least per ID's telling of this, and I couldn't find any documents or, you know, any articles to tell me about this because it's, you know, nobody's business or whatever, but it doesn't really tell to the story. But I don't believe that she had been to the property in Adairville prior to them getting married. Because it seemed as though she was kind of surprised um, that the pig farm was kind of like in close, close proximity. Well, closer proximity to the home than she would have liked. And like basically like the whole vibe. Like everything is way different out there in the country and the farms and stuff like that than it is when you come from, you know, living in 
the burbs or wherever, you know, period. Um, even like normal country living is different from living in a farm or on a farm in a secluded area. So that's what she was contending with. Anywho, while it was exciting, she was also stunned when she learned that her brother-in-law George was also going to be living with them. Chris apologized to Allison, but insisted that his brother needed a place to stay and that, quote, families first. George had been living in the main home with his parents, so it was super off-putting that George up and moved in with them, like, immediately. Operation Cockblock. Ooh. Allison felt uneasy with George constantly lurking and, like, popping up and, like, he's, like, in the shadows and, like, so she's trying to adjust to married life with her love who has moved her 15 minutes away from Russellville, which is where the, the couple got married at. And they they live in seclusion. And they're trying to get their little, like, love nest on. And you can't do that because your kid brother-in-law is a creeper who's always there. Like, you turn around and he's there. You slightly raise your voice, he's there. You whisper, he's there. Like, that's gotta be fucking annoying. So, huh. She felt like she was being watched and her conversations on the phone were totally being eavesdropped on. And whenever Allison was challenged by her new relatives, they would use the mantra, family first, or family's always first, Family always comes first. And, you know, and they would do this shit in, like, ways of guilting her into doing things like being a team player and, like, for instance, um, lending her vehicle or to disagreements with Chris about, like, their third wheel. You know, like, family's always first. You know, my brother needs to stay with us. Um, you know, Allison, you say you want to be a part of the family. Well... Let me get those keys up off you. Let me borrow your whip. Let me borrow your car. You know, oh, you're not using that $20. Let me borrow that. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. And um, it kind of felt like there was like an open door policy, like where like any of the family members like the sister, the parents, anybody that was on this property could just like waltz right in the front door without even so much as like a courtesy knock. And so like, you know, I'm sure that was a little off-putting. And when I say a little, I mean a lot, especially since that's not something that she was accustomed to. So... All of this is going on, and <clears throat> Chris would remind, would always remind Allison that although she was his wife, 
She wasn't blood. And again, family always came first. At some point, there was an accident where Allison's vehicle had been wrecked. And Chris decided to buy himself a truck. Vice is repairing her car. Which meant that the two would have to share the pickup truck, um, you know, when he didn't need it. And most times he had the truck at his disposal. And so therefore, you know, she really wasn't getting off of the property. The couple also, you know, which further isolated them, well, isolated her from her family and friends. The couple shared a cell phone. And it was said that whenever Allison's friends or family would call her and, you know, Chris had the phone, he would inform him that, like, she wasn't around, which was, like, super weird to her, you know, friends and family members because they're like, well, if she doesn't have a car, she doesn't really, like, you know what I mean like she keeps to herself she's always there at home where is she she doesn't go anywhere yeah what are you talking about and um alone she was made to feel like she was like an unwanted outcast in her relationship with her husband as well as her home life because her brother-in-law was there and he was just like the big pink elephant in the room as well as whatever was going on you know between her and the in-laws you know up at the main house so Allison's only way to express her thoughts her questionings about what she was doing with her life and overall feelings was by way of journaling and it was almost as if it was the only way that she could have conversations and so the paper and pen replaced human contact for her so she would just constantly sit there and just journal in you know these notebook pads or whatever um expressing her her thoughts and feelings as time went on the tensions within the relationship and home continued to grow the couple arguing constantly at times, the disagreements did turn physical. Now, Chris would say that, like, when the two would fight, she was normally the one who was, like, coming at him and he would just, you know, restrain her. Um, other people would say that Chris was super controlling and that he was the aggressor in some of these instances but nonetheless all of these aggressions were playing out with George looming around in the background the marriage it would seem was stunted from the moment the couple moved in together and you know with George in tow nonetheless Allison's religious upbringing however would not allow her unhappiness to be the reason why she'd end her marriage. And so the couple pressed on because she was raised that the only way that the marriage could come to an end is if there was infidelity. Otherwise, 
you just continue to do the work because that's what you're supposed to do. So she continued and he continued and George continued to live together. Yay. It, it's like, I don't know. It's a lot. I don't know. I I just feel like Jaws, you know, like he's just, you know, the shark is there somewhere. You don't know quite where, you know, you just, I don't know. It's just weird. But anywho, um, (sighs) on December 21st, 2015, like the day began like any other, uh, now, it's unclear if this was AM or PM. I don't know if the gentlemen were working nights over there um, on the farm, like slaughtering, or I don't know how this works. Not a pig farmer, don't come at me. Um, or if they worked in the morning, but I feel like it was like 5 AM. I feel like that's what I heard Chris say. Um, so at 5 a.m., Chris was up, and he was ready to leave for work on the farm with George. Chris leaned over Allison as she lay in bed and kissed her. He told her he loved her before going to work. Now, Chris and George left the home together and headed for work in the truck because, I mean, like, the property is big enough that, like, you know, you do need to, like, drive over there. It would be, it would take a minute to get over there. Take it's a nice little walk, I guess. So, around two and a half hours or so into their into their work day, maybe three and a half hours, George slipped away and went back to the home that he shared with his older brother and sister-in-law. George confronted Allison in the kitchen, where things got heated quickly. George strangled Allison bound her hands and ankles with white rope and a blue tarp and disposed of her body in the nearby Red River. After murdering and disposing of Allison's body, he quickly returned to work. When George returned to the pig farm, Chris took his break. Now, there's some discrepancies on this because Chris was under the assumption that George was with him the entire time. Now, I'm under the assumption that if you're doing your job and your job does not require you to have your brother like right next to you, right in front of you or like in your immediate area while you're doing whatever you're doing. And he should be doing whatever he's doing. And if your paths don't cross, whatever. Like, it's not suspicious to me that he didn't notice that his brother had gotten away. That's just me. Um, I'm willing to let this one slide. So, Chris takes his break. The home was eerily silent when he got there. Allison would most likely have had his lunch ready for him. When he returned home on his break and would absolutely have been somewhere around the home if, you know, she hadn't done that. When Chris couldn't find Allison, he began contacting all of her family members. 
as all of Allison's friends and family members confirmed that they hadn't seen or heard from Allison, everyone became nervous. After going back and forth, checking in with Chris, hoping Allison had returned, they began to insist that Chris report her missing, and he was totally, like, apprehensive about doing so initially. So when police, and when he finally does, you know, finally, it's, you know, it's still the 21st, but when he finally does, it's, like, late in the evening, and when police arrive, they, you know, end up taking Chris down, you know, and asking him some questions. And while hesitant to answer their probing questions about, like, the couple's relationship, he was found to be cooperative. And, I mean, like, he did answer the harder questions, even though, like, he may have framed it in a way that made him look a little less aggressive or controlling or whatever, Nonetheless, you know, everybody wants to paint the picture to make themselves shine a little bit brighter, even if they're doing funky shit, right? So, back at the Walker residence, and this is a little bit leery, um, I, again, I found some news articles as well, but the timeline isn't quite uh, consistent with, it, it doesn't have any consistency or any real time points stamped so I'm just really trying here so now George had been filmed on body cam and initially they said that um he just seemed really aloof and fidgety he didn't have any knowledge of where Allison was okay the following day when police returned to the Walker home on the 22nd to search for more, um, search more, uh, they said that George was, like, hanging around the area, and this is, like, moving into the 23rd, I believe, again, this timeline is really weird to me, but they're saying that around, like, we'll say it's late on the 22nd, early 23rd, George was said to have been hanging around the area. So George asked detectives if they'd searched down by the river. And when they asked him why that might be a place to look for Allison, you know, finding it a squirrely question, George replied he'd, quote, picked it up from the wind. It was in the wee hours on December 23rd when neighbor and non-relative jay walker so he lived on and i think it was like not necessarily like an adjoining property but he was close by he was going home and he saw like all of the hullabaloo and hustle and bustle going on and he offered his assistance so as jane show as jay shone his spotlight george pointed out the location of allison's body in the red river george told police that he had had sex with Allison in the kitchen before murdering her and throwing her body in the river. When questioned as to why he murdered Allison, his only answer was, quote, it was a wrong belief. Like, like she had a wrong belief. Um, George was then arrested and charged with murder and tampering of physical evidence. 
When police continued searching the home, they located white rope that matched the rope that bound Allison's wrists and ankles, uh, as well as a crudely scribbled message in Allison's journal implying that she'd run off. And in the ID telling of this, it's said that Chris, quote unquote, found this in her journal and presented it to the police while they were on the property. From the news article that I read, it said that it was a part of what was, you know, taken from the home. So I don't know, but I'm giving you both versions of that. Now, it was crudely scribbled and they were like, does this really make sense to you? Why would she write this? And and they're telling this message was given to the police before her body was found. Um, and it's kind of mentioned as an afterthought, as in like it was a part of the things that were removed from the home or found in the home, you know, during the search or whatever in the news article. So there's that. You can only go so far with creative license and I don't know what's what. But nonetheless... Although George was in custody and being charged with Allison's murder initially, police did continue to interrogate Chris as well, thinking that Chris may have known more than he was telling police because George had implicated him. George had told police that he had confessed to Chris what had happened to Allison before Chris had even reported her missing, which could line up however they had no way of proving it and he vehemently denied it so although they had their suspicions they could find no ties between the brothers and the murder of Allison so police proceeded with the charges brought against George in January 2018, 22-year-old George Walker went to trial for the December 2015 murder of his sister-in-law and tampering with evidence. Jurors listened to several experts who presented various forms of forensic instance or evidence. It was found that Allison's cause of death was asphyxiation by strangulation. They said that they could not rule out that drowning wasn't a possible factor, but because she had been strangled and was like unconscious, there's science behind it as to whether or not she could have actually drowned, um, but it, it hadn't been ruled out. And also that uh, due to the cold temperatures of the Red River at the time of her death, her time of death could not be determined. Also, while vaginal swabs were collected, the sample did not yield enough DNA to, deter- to determine whether or not it was from Chris or George. Also, While the frayed ends of the rope found in the laundry room could not be physically matched to the rope used to bind Allison, the rope's construction and fiber composition were the same. 
Lastly, jurors also watched the two-and-a-half-hour body cam footage of George. Now, some of it was supposed to be redacted, but there was a little foobar in the uh, viewing in court. However, they did mute it uh, so that the jurors didn't hear the portion that they weren't supposed to hear. After the prosecution rested, the defense attempted to paint a picture of George as being a brother who was on trial because he was protecting his brother. You know, family first. When Chris was on the witness stand, he told the defense again he had nothing to do with the murder of his wife, attesting that she was the woman that he loved shared a life with, and wanted to grow a family with. After deliberating, George was found guilty on both charges and sentenced to serve 55 years and will become eligible for parole in 2035. He later on appeal his sentence on the grounds that the jury was shown a portion of the video of George that was not to be viewed, although the portion had been muted over, and eventually the sentence was still go- would still be upheld. <sighs> the following year, in 2019, Chris would find himself in trouble, but not for anything involving Allison's murder. In June 2019, Chris was arrested for first-degree rape first-degree sexual abuse, and first-degree sodomy with a minor less than 12 years of age. And these acts were allegedly, or these acts allegedly occurred during the time of Chris and Allison's marriage. As of the summer of 2020, he was out on bond and awaiting trial. I was unable to find enough information on whether or not he was convicted and how that ended. So that's why we say allegedly because innocent until proven guilty or and or the receipts are provided and I don't have those. Hmm. So what had happened is this. Hmm. Family first is uh what they continued to like amplify in the episode and um they really hyped up the blood is thicker than mud bond that this family had um apparently This little credo, this family motto, this mantra, you know, um, George took it to heart. Okay, so let's go back. There was hella resentment, okay? First of all, nobody said anything about the walker family being any kind of way towards allison because of her race i think george would have treated any woman his brother 
brought onto that property in the same manner. I think that George had a weird obsession with, like, keeping the family close together and no outsiders. I think there might have also been some jealousy because Chris had found someone. And, I mean, during the time of their courtship, perhaps the time that Chris might have spent with George, you know, in their free time. Like, I don't know what their regular hangout sesh, whatever their relationship was like outside of family first, um, you know, prior to Allison coming into the fray. Allow me to take a sip of coffee real quick. I don't know what that dynamic was like between the two siblings, but apparently... When the t- what I feel is like this, I feel like when Chris was dating Allison, he was obviously moving on with his life as he was supposed to, like you know, progressively. And George didn't like it, he felt like he was losing his brother, okay, and then Chris marries Allison and moves her onto the property into this home and he cannot abide by the notion of only being able to like work with his brother and probably hang out with him from time to time when his brother will come up to the main house or they invite him over for dinner or whatever it is. And he had to be in the middle of all of that. And so he just inserted himself in the middle of their their home life before it even began. It's, it's weird. I mean, like, it's not a... St- story that I haven't heard before but like it's still always kind of really weird every time I hear it um I think like high key is probably jealous too because like you know if his brother had privacy with Allison their marriage probably would have been able to flourish and develop in the way that it was supposed to, but he couldn't allow that to happen. So he just had to sit there like a poison and he would remind her at at any given turn that he didn't appreciate any of the things that she was doing in the home, thinking that she was the op, thinking that she was the enemy, like, You can't come in here thinking that you're going to change shit around. Or you can't come up in here thinking that you're going to get my brother to start acting a certain way. Or that you're going to get my brother to kick me out because family first. You know what I mean? Like, blood's blood and you can kick rocks. Like, that's the vibe that this clan... Because that's how they acted. Like, you know, the family was like a little clan. Um... Like, no outsiders, but ew, then, you know, what that leaves, 
Like, you don't, you want your brother to move on. You want your brother to find somebody who's lovely, who's not a relative. You know what I mean? Because when you get that possessive and clickish and like ugly towards anything that bats an eyelash at your brother, my guy, the alternative is really fucking gross, you know? It was really a turbulent situation. And again, like I said, they didn't stand a chance as a couple having this family member there off the rip. Now, some people can do that. There are plenty of people who marry and live in multi-generational homes and flourish as well. But there are boundaries that are set. There are lines that are not to be crossed. And at some point, you've got to come and become like a united front with your spouse and be like, hey, bro, you can't talk to my wife like that. Or, hey, sis, you can't talk to my husband like that. You know, you're staying with us. We're together. We're allowing you to stay here. Family first. He's my family. She's my family. You know, at some point, you have to fucking remember that this is the family member that you chose. You two chose each other. And then eventually, if you're lucky, you can create some blood. And then it's really family first. You know what I mean? If you're fortunate. But that doesn't, but you should still have that still kind, that still, that same kind of love and ties that bind, you know. So, like, allowing his little brother to be disrespectful towards his wife was not cool on his part. Allowing uh, his little brother to insert himself in their married people business was not the move to make like there's so many layers of horrible in this you know allowing your brother to bum rush his way into moving into your home he's always there he's creeping your wife out you don't listen to her you keep telling her to chill the fuck up chill the fuck out shut the fuck up and sit down and chill you isolate her this is now this is where the abuse comes in you isolate her you share a cell phone which i mean like i can understand if many many moons ago i too had to do something like that for a little bit but it it wasn't for long i understand you do what you gotta do but when her friends and family call and you're screening the phone calls And you're telling people that she's not around and she's sitting like right next to you. And you won't allow her to use the vehicle. You don't, she, she is becoming more inward. She doesn't want to do anything. Even when people do invite her out, you know, it's a mental mind, you know, it's a mental abuse situation. She had been going stir crazy out there on top of you know, all of the psychological shit that was going on with her brother-in-law and in-laws, potentially, and the 
situation with her husband as well. So there was a lot going on. This was just not a good place to be. Her friends and family were concerned for her, you know, being out there in the middle of nowhere. And again, like, this was all weird, unwarranted, unjustifiable. And he was so damn young. Like, he was like 20 years old when he committed the offense. And it was like, he never said anything outside of she had the wrong beliefs and would never elaborate on that and give an explanation as to what that meant. And, I mean, far be it for any of us to, like, try to get into this man's head, but it leads me to wonder if the wrong beliefs were the fact that she was saying, I'm his wife and we're supposed to live together and we're not supposed to be living like this. And you're not supposed to be acting the way you're acting. You know, like, I should be chosen in this situation by your brother. And to him, that was the wrong beliefs. Because family's always first. And he never saw her as family. He always saw her as an outsider. Um, oof. which means she, she, like I said before, she and, or whomever else theoretically never would have stood a chance, you know, of breaking down those walls. Um, I don't think you could, I don't think you could be kind enough to, con- you know, to to break down the walls on that. It feels almost like it was like hazing slash stalking. Like how far can I push her on top of like, let me see what she's up to because I feel like he didn't think she was ever good enough for his brother. And so she had to be up to something. And so he was like, sneaking around trying to see if he could catch her being deceptive in some way so he could say see I told you so and he never could and I'm sure that that was infuriating to her as well having her everything questioned at all times by the super weirdo person and group of people Okay, so that's all I got, man. It was this a sick, sad world. Um, don't go killing anybody. I don't know. It's it was just a really weird. I'm not, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go into how I found this episode. So when I was convalescing back in December, when I was all sick up and shit, I was watching a lot of true crime and taking in a lot of stuff for material for you guys and I just remembered the wrong beliefs heard it in the wind or picked it up in the wind and family's always first 
just kept like throbbing through my head over the past couple of months. And, you know, since I promised you guys a third episode for the month and I wanted to, you know, wrap it up strong, I figured why not end with family always being first? Um, this was a very interesting story. It's very tragic. Allison absolutely did not deserve an ounce of what she got out there on that property from the moment she moved on. I moved on to that property to the moment that her life was taken from her because like I said, had George not moved in with the couple immediately, like the day that they moved in together, he was moving his stuff into his own room. Um, I think that they might, the story might've ended differently. Just if they'd had that space, if George wasn't who he was during that time and who he is, I don't know. Um, it just felt really possessive, familially possessive. Like he was really possessive over his brother and his family. And, you know, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't, it just sits weird. Huh. So, hey, here's, here's what's going down. It's like, Pisces season and um I was wondering well I'm not wondering I'm telling you guys that um since I dropped these three episodes for you guys this month what I'm planning on doing is returning with the first episode for March around the 10th if you don't mind please and thank you yeah, so around March 10th, I'll come back. Because what I do need is a few days to collect myself, celebrate my birthday, and uh, get you guys a fresh script and, you know, all that stuff. So give me a few days, all right? Let's take a little couple week break off, and then I'll be back with more lesser known true crime stories for you. My name is Kimberly, and here is your beautiful outro music. Again, this is What Had Happened, a true crime podcast.